You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double Eleven. On today's episode, we have the UFC 254, Habib versus Gaethje. Full card preview, predictions, and analysis. In the main event of the evening, to determine the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, you have the undefeated, undisputed UFC lightweight champion of the world, Habib the Eagle Nurmagomedov, who holds a record of 28 wins, no defeats, going up against the former World Series of Fighting lightweight champion and the current interim lightweight champion coming off of a near-flawless performance against the boogeyman Tony Ferguson at UFC 249. That is 22-2, Justin the Highlight Gaethje. Will the Eagle stick his claws into another victim or will the Highlight add another victim to the reel? Without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing today? I am pumped. I'm ready. I'm so ready to talk about these fights. I have been preparing for this Gaethje versus Khabib breakdown and for this fight ever since the flawless performance that Justin Gaethje put on against Tony Ferguson at UFC 249. And uh, I know I should probably talk about the Ortega versus Korean zombie fight from last weekend. Um, Phenomenal performance, or this past weekend, I guess. Phenomenal performance by Brian Ortega, primarily fought the fight in a southpaw stance, which is right foot in front and the left foot in back. He's normally an orthodox fighter, but he'll switch on angles, and as he moves side to side, he'll change the angle, switch his stance, and switch the lead foot. But uh, this was a different This was a different thing. Um, you know, he looked phenomenal, constantly going over that lead jab of Chan Sung Jung with the check right hook, um, was able to counter him stepping in with that straight left down the middle and drop him early in the fight, and then... Uh, was able to get a few takedowns on Korean Zombie, I believe, and then obviously um, parried the lead hand of the Korean Zombie as he walked forward and timed it with a beautiful spinning elbow and uh, rocked the Korean Zombie. Basically, I don't know how he didn't go out from it. It was perfect. It was clean. Um, Dropped him, and uh, you saw a video of him practicing it in the back, and one of the things I said in the lead-up was that if the Korean Zombie thinks you're hurt or if he's behind, he will tend to bum-rush forward. And if Ortega could time him stepping in with an elbow, he was going to drop them. If you don't believe me, um, if you don't believe that I said that, go back and listen to my previous episode, but that definitely was discussed, and uh, that was the biggest turning point of the fight because I think if that elbow wouldn't have landed, I believe that was in the second round, I think Korean Zombie could have been up two rounds to zero And then, uh, you know, it would have been a much closer fight, but that elbow landed. And ever since that spinning elbow landed on the zombie, um, he just wasn't able to get back into the fight. I mean, beautiful high kicks from Ortega, beautiful lateral movement in and out, um, stepping in, countering with the jab and the the overhand left and the elbows on the counter, um, the one, two, the body kicks, the high kicks of Ortega, which I said were vastly, vastly underrated. Prior to this contest, a lot of people weren't talking about how good his kicking game was. But uh, the Brian Ortega wins the fight via a 50-45 decision. And it uh, looks like he's going to be getting the champion. Alexander Volkanovsky, he improves to 15-1-1 overall. Only loss coming to the former champion, Max Blessed Holloway, at UFC 231. And yeah, it looks like we're going to be getting uh, Brian Ortega versus Alexander the, uh, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. Um, I love that fight. I think that each guy definitely has an opportunity to win this fight. It's a dangerous fight for both. Um, in the grappling exchanges, I don't expect Volkanovski to, you know, go into the grappling. I know he's strong, but I don't think he wants to play any play with the jujitsu of Brian Ortega at all. They call him T City for a reason. 
Um, Triangle City, he can lock your lock up your neck, and if he gets a hold of your neck, it's usually a wrap. Um, I think that Volkanovski's fakes and feints, um, the ability to step in and come over the top with that right hand, inside and outside low kicks to chop up the base of Ortega, um, just faking and feigning, you know, reaching forward with that rear right hand just to step in with that lead inside low kick or reaching forward to then come in fake and come over the top of the left hook. Um, there's a lot of little tricks that Volkanovski uses. Um, obviously, very controversial win over Max Holloway at UFC 251. A lot of people didn't expect. Um, a lot of people didn't expect Orte or uh, Max to lose that fight. They thought that he was. He thought that he was going to get the decision, no problem. But if you go back and rewatch the fight, the takedowns and the grappling um, definitely, definitely um, secured the fight for. Alexander Volkanovsky, he was able to get some trips, trip takedowns up against the fence towards the end, the fourth and the fifth round, which really sealed those last two rounds. And he stepped in, was faking and faking, coming over the top. I don't remember the fight exactly. Um, I do know that Max Holloway dropped or uh, Volkanovsky with a, a high kick. And I believe it was the first round. He just grazed off the top of the year, dropped him and uh, hurt him. But... Uh, next up, I, we got to talk about, and I would talk more about the, that card and it was a great card overall. Honestly, I'll probably spend some more time on it on the next episode, but just because of how big this fight is this weekend between Habib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje and how good the card is overall. I mean, we have Casey Kenny versus Nathaniel Wood, which will be the first fight we talk about. That's on the prelims. Um, we've got Alexander Volkov versus Walt Harris, which is a phenomenal heavyweight matchup between the number six and number eight ranked contenders. You've got Jared Cannonier versus the former champion, Robert the Reaper Whitaker. I mean, this card's great. It was originally supposed to be, if you guys probably, I mean, I know if you're a hardcore fan, you probably know what the original, um, what the original card was going to look like, but it was going to be Zabit versus Yair, um, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Islam Mahachev. Robert Whitaker versus Cannoneer, Khabib versus Gaethje, and the co-main event to that was going to be Dustin Poirier versus Tony Ferguson. But now we've got Habib Gaethje, we've got Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannoneer, we've got um, Alexander Volkov and Walt Harris, we've got and, and a couple other fights, and obviously on the prelims, you've got Nathaniel Wood versus Casey Kenny, which is a phenomenal fight. It's at a catch weight. I believe it's going to be at 140 pounds. Yeah, 140-pound catchweight fight, um, formerly 135-pound top contenders. So I'm excited. And, uh, yeah, I guess we can get into the breakdowns. I will probably have a more detailed breakdown of the Korean Zombie and Ortega fight. And then, obviously, Jessica Andrade coming in and beating Caitlin Chukagian via a via vicious TKO in the first round um, with, the, with that left. I believe it was a left hook to the body. She heard her with the body shot, and you saw her back up and like, ugh. And then she came in, da da da, rip, rip to the body again. I I said that the hooks and the brawling style, if Andrade was going to be able to get inside of the long rangey kicking game and boxing of or of uh, Caitlin Jukagian, I said that that was going to be a problem. So definitely, that's what happened, and she looked great. Probably going to get the winner of Jennifer Maya and Valentina Shevchenko. That should be Shevchenko. I think Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade is a great fight. Um, I think that the new implementation of head movement slipping off the center line and moving in could be problems against Valentina or could cause problems for Shevchenko because if she can get inside, but you know, uh, what was I going to say? 
but the kicking game of Valentina Shevchenko is unmatched. And if you time the slip wrong, you can lead yourself right into a high kick. So that could definitely be an issue um, without a doubt. Well, uh, let's get into the UFC 254 U- uh, predictions. We're going to start off with a bout in the prelims. Um, obviously, this takes place on Saturday, October 24th at an early start time of 1 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. So it's an early fight, just like UFC 242, uh, Poirier versus Khabib. So it's going to be an early start time. And we're going to start off with the prelims. Now, before I say anything, this is not the entire main card. Um, it is one fight from the prelims. And then we have one, two, three, four fights from the main card. And uh, we did skip some of the fights because obviously there's a couple of fights that I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on as long as we can make a you know deep analysis of Khabib and Gaethje and Whitaker versus Cannoneer and obviously all the other good fights on the card, then I think we're in a good standing. Um, let's start it off on the prelims with a catchweight bout at 140 pounds. You have uh, two bantamweight prospects, um, no pun intended. First off, you have the prospect Nathaniel Wood, who holds a record of 17 wins and four defeats, going up against Casey Kenny, who holds a record of 15 wins, two defeats, and one no contest. Both of these guys are very, very dangerous, and they honestly fight very similar to each other. When when going in and breaking down this contest, they do fight in a very similar style. Um, when you look at a guy like Nathaniel Wood, he's coming off a win over John Castaneda, I believe, in his last contest. I believe that was at the fight night Whitaker versus Till. Let me check this out really quick just so I could see his last fight. It, is uh yeah so he's coming off a win over John Castaneda at, on July 25th at UFC Fight Night 174 via decision. I think that was honestly his cleanest performance to date. Nathaniel Wood is very good at controlling and maintaining the range. When you're when you're far away from him, he's faking and feigning with his hands. He'll front kick you up the middle. He'll inside low kick you, outside low kick you, hide the uh, inside kick behind the uh, the the left hook. Really good against opposite stanced opponents because he's an orthodox fighter. He will switch stance to southpaw every once in a while to uh, you know switch up the angle and switch up the timing on the opponent. When you look at Casey Kenny, Casey Kenny is a southpaw, so this is a southpaw versus orthodox fighter. Um, the biggest weapon for the for this type of fight when it's opponents in opposite stances is the rear leg body kicks and the outside foot dominance. I always talk about outside lead foot dominance. When you are fighting a, a an opponent in an opposite stance, you always want to make sure you can get your lead foot to the outside of their lead foot. Because if you get to the outside of the lead foot, you, one, avoid the jab and have your head off the center line, and two, it opens up the, the lane down the center line for you to land your power shot. It's easier for the southpaw fighter to step to the outside of the lead foot of the orthodox fighter because they have a little bit of a they have a slightly better angle and it's it's not as many steps that they have to take. When it's an orthodox fighter against a southpaw, you might have to take one or two more steps to the outside. The southpaw will have to uh will have a little bit of an easier avenue to get that outside lead foot. So it's very good. Um it's it's a very dangerous fight anytime you go up against a, a 
a uh, a opposite stance opponent. I'm sorry, I kind of got tongue tied there. Um, let's talk about some good things that Nathaniel Wood does very quick. We're gonna break this down a little bit differently. We're gonna talk about Nathaniel Wood, and then we're gonna talk about Casey Kenny and uh, explain some of the intricacies of their game. So. Nathaniel Wood, number one, is his straight right hand is very, very good. There's no windup and there's no fat in any of his movement. It's just popping it straight down the middle, popping it, just pop. And he normally will follow it with a left hook. Now, if somebody else on the main card who likes to go right hand to a left hook is Justin Gaethje, but we're going to talk about that later on because he does that a little bit differently. So the straight right hand to the left hook, um, really, really good weapon from Nathaniel Wood. His boxing is so clean. It's it's pop, pop, pop. He's just, like I said, no fat, no wind-up. Some guys, you'll see the shoulder move back, and then they'll throw the right hand. So it takes a little bit longer for the punch, and it's a little bit more telegraphed. With Nathaniel Wood, he could just stand right there and pop it straight down the middle. Um, and then he will go with the left hook. Um, sometimes he'll fake the right hand and go left hook. You fake it to... Uh, get that weight a little bit towards your lead foot. And then you have a little bit extra movement in your hips. You're already turned. You already have your hips turned towards the left. So you fake that right hand and come with the left hook. So if Nathaniel Wood doesn't land the right hand, he might go pop the straight right. He might fake it and go left hook. He might go straight right to a left hook. He's got very good weapons and he's very good at hiding the weapons, the same weapons and mixing up the patterns of the punches that he throws. Um, really good fakes and feints from Nathaniel Wood, and he loves the inside and outside low kicks against an opposite stance fighter, who Casey Kenny is. Casey Kenny is a opposite stance fighter from him. He's a southpaw. So Nathaniel Wood is going to be looking to step to his left and throw that outside low kick to get to the outside of that lead, the lead side of Casey Kenny, which one opens up the lane for the right hand on the center, like we said, and two also helps to cut the angles to the left and helps with lateral movement. Um, constantly attacking the outside leg, um, inside low kicks against John Castaneda. That fight really almost, I'm not going to say Castaneda is the same fighter as Casey Kenny because he's not. He does have a very heavy left kick, though. Very solid, um, speedy kicks does does John Castaneda, and that is a good weapon that Casey Kenny has. Now, Casey Kenny is a different monster with his low with his uh, left kicks. Whether it's to the body, he'll go outside, inside low, outside low, body, head, mix up the patterns, always throwing that that right hook and maybe pulling back and countering with the straight left down the center. He's good with the pull counters. You know, the opponent will throw the shot. He'll pull back, plant on his rear foot, and come forward with that straight left hand. Um, let's go back to Nathaniel Wood. Um, He's got good fakes and feints, I said. Um, always attacking outside and inside low kicks and the check left hook against the southpaw, which will be very beneficial in this fight nonetheless. Um, loves to use the front kick. He will fake the power with the right hand and throw that teep kick up the middle to the body. That's one to keep the distance from the opponent and uh, stop the opponent from closing distance, I should say. And it also makes it easier to hide your power shots. If you fake your right hand and then push uh, forward with a teep kick, you're creating distance, but then you could fake the teep step in. It closes the distance and you can land your right hand. So either way, he's always setting everything up. He's always faking, always fainting, and is always aware of the distance management. Um, and then sometimes he will throw the, um, he's constantly circling to the, the weak side. So he's going to be looking to circle towards the right lead side of Casey Kenny. This is a guy who you rarely ever see circle towards the opponent's power. Um, he's very good with the counter left hook. That's another thing. 
Um, if Casey Kenny decides to step in with the one, two, he can slip inside and come over with the check left hook. He can cut the angle and check left hook and then be on the side of the opponent and make them turn into him. His counter left hook and his boxing is so clean and so sharp. I think Nathaniel Wood gets a lot of credit for being so good with the trips against the cage and body locks and looking to get your back and uh, take your neck for a rear naked choke. Yes, he's got great submissions, but his striking is just as good. And you really saw that in the fight against John Castaneda. Um, he likes to go hook off the jab. One's things I, what's, what's one of the things I always say, and it's a shout out to my boy, Jack Slack. He doesn't know me, but I always listen to his podcast. Um, he says, if you hook off the jab, you're one or two steps ahead of your opponent in the striking game. When you fake the jab, you could fake the jab and throw a hook off that same side because the opponent's probably going to slip to the outside, which would run right into your lead left hook. Or you could fake the jab, come with the left hook. You could jab, throw the left hook, which is going to direct the opponent to your right side, right into the power right hand. You could jab, hook, fake, and hook again. There's so many different ways to mix it up. And fakes and feints and little false tells in your movement are what's going to be able to get you to that destination. And Nathaniel Wood is one of the best guys in the sport with mixing up his combinations and switching seamlessly between fakes and feints, punches, mixing up the punches and kicks without the doubt. Um, sometimes he will throw uh, the straight right and then pull back and then he'll throw the teep kick and pull back and counter with a cross hook. So he'll throw that front kick up the middle to your body. And then as he pulls back, it's going to add momentum to plant with that straight, right? And then you're already in position with your hips, your turn slightly to your left. It adds hip to the, it adds torque to coming back with that left hook. Um, yeah. So that, that's basically the game of Nathaniel Wood. Now, when you talk about a guy like Casey Kenny. Casey Kenny is very, very, very good with his power kicks from that rear left side. And he's very good with fakes and feints as well. He's always kind of moving his hands, moving his shoulders, faking with his head. And uh, he likes to pull and slip to the outside of the right hand and then counter with the straight left. Um, that's obviously an opposite stance to the opponent. So he, the opponent will throw the right hand. He'll slip outside and counter with the straight left hand. If he slips inside, look for him to come over the top with that check right hook. So it's outside, pull the throw the straight right, or he'll slip inside and come with the check hook. Um, one thing you'll notice is that when the opponent, I think I have it written down here. When the when Casey Kenny tends to pull straight back, he's going to end up countering with the straight left hand. When he pulls and slips off the center, he uses it to throw that check right hook. So if you see him slip to his left, he's going to look to throw that counter right hook and straight left hand. If you see him pull back in a straight line, it's normally because he wants to pull and counter with the straight left. Um, a la Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor. Mayweather obviously would pull and counter with the straight right, but... Uh, the same difference. You know what I mean? So he's good with fakes and feints and slipping and countering out of the way of an opposite stanced opponent, which is what Nathaniel Wood is. Good power left kick. And like I said, he mixes it up inside, outside, low kicks, middle to the body. His left body kick is a big weapon against Nathaniel Wood. He's going to look to land that left kick to the body and take the wind out of Nathaniel Wood. But can Nathaniel Wood close the distance when it's needed so he can't land the kick? And can he control the distance and counter off the kicks, catch the kicks and counter, catch counters like he can against, um, can he do that against Casey Kenny? I should say, or can Casey Kenny do it against Nathaniel Wood and vice versa? 
Um, like I said, very good with the pull left hand. Um, he can also throw the left hand and hide the left body kick behind it. You see it a lot in uh, if we're talking about an orthodox fighter who would have the right foot in back. You see it a lot from Israel Adesanya where he'll throw the right hand and hide the left, the right high kick behind it because the opponent's going to try to slip to the outside and that usually directs them right into the power kick. So you're throwing that power hand banking on them to slip and then they run right into the power kick. Casey Kenny does this very well for the uh from the southpaw stance and he's also good with that check hook. Very very solid check right hook. Very very good and he uses it to get the angle off to the lead side of the other opponent or of the opponent I should say. Um, he does tend to get countered with the straight right hand when throwing the rear left body kick. Sometimes that could be a problem against Nathaniel Wood because, like we said, he doesn't have a lot of wind up in his shots. He'll pull back and counter with the straight right hand, and uh, it's very solid and it's very clean. And if Nathan, if Casey Kenny doesn't set up the body kick behind a straight left or isn't quick enough to get to the target. Nathaniel Wood can counter him down the middle with the straight right hand. He doesn't tend to keep his hands very high. He uses a lot of head movement, slipping, rolling under shots, and pulling away for his defense instead of a traditional high guard. Um, very good knowledge of measuring distance, like we said. Same, same thing goes for Nathaniel Wood. These guys are very similar. It's very similar. I think it could play out a little bit similarly to Nathaniel Wood and John Castaneda, but I expect it to be a lot more competitive. And I think Casey Kenny's speed and power in his rear kick is going to be the biggest problem for Nathaniel Wood. Um, sometimes he will triple double and triple up on the rear left body kicks or the rear left kicks. So he'll, instead of throwing one kick and then going back to punches, he'll go body kick, body kick, body kick. He'll go inside low kick. Um, rear body kick, rear high kick. He'll switch up the levels and he'll switch up the timing so you don't know where the kick is going to land and you don't know where the kick is coming from. It's very, very tricky, and that could definitely be a problem against uh, Nathaniel Wood. So if I have to go with a pick, I mean, obviously we've broken down everything. Um, this is such a close fight. It's probably one of, if not the closest fights on the card to predict because they are very similar in their styles, but it's a little bit, it's just such a tough fight to call, but I'm going to go with Nathaniel Wood. I think the prospect gets it done. I think the straight right hand down the middle is going to probably be the biggest weapon for Nathaniel Wood. And I think he's going to be able to counter some of the kicking game of Casey Kenny. I expect Casey Kenny to get pushed up against the fence by Nathaniel Wood. I think he's going to try to, to, pressure him and then pull him in by backing up and making him come and cover the distance and then close the distance again up against the cage. He's good with elbows off the break. So definitely watch out for that from Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood's good everywhere as is Casey Kenny, but I just think the movement and the angles and the striking of Nathaniel Wood and uh, the straight left hand and the boxing um, is going to really highlight the little slight defensive irresponsibility of Casey Kenny because he doesn't tend to keep his hands up. He just pulls and slips out of the way of shots. So I'm going with Nathaniel Wood to defeat Casey Kenny via a, we'll go split decision. I think it'll be a close fight, but I think Nathaniel Wood will uh, outpoint Casey Kenny and just be quicker and slicker with the counters and his defense is going to be good enough to uh, block the shots of Casey Kenny while also coming back to counter the, uh, the defensive holes of Casey Kenny, but a great fight. So Nathaniel Wood to defeat Casey Kenny via a split decision. 
All right, up next, we'll go to the first fight on the main card, a fight that has been booked, I believe, two times before, and this is going to be the third time, so hopefully it's going to be, you know, it, hopefully it's going to go down. But it's in the light heavyweight division, a rematch from UFC Fight Night. Which fight night was it? I think it was Figueredo versus Benavidez, too. Uh, it's a, it's for the light. It's in the light heavyweight division. You have the number eleven ranked Magomed Ankliev, who holds a record of thirteen wins and one defeats, going up against Eon the Hulk Kutelaba, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of fifteen wins, five losses, and one no contest. Um, if you look at the first fight, um, it was stopped con somewhat controversially in the first round. Um, Ankliev was throwing vicious left power kicks, and it looked like Magomed Ank. Uh, it looked like Ian Kutelaba was was wobbling and and stunned, and but he was using that rope a dope kind of to try to come over the top with the straight right hand. That's one thing he was trying to do. He was trying to catch the kicks and then come over the top. Um, even the counters though that he did land or tried to land didn't land, even though Ankliev was pushing the pace and closing the distance. Now, um, it was stopped. Ankliev or uh, Kutelaba was furious. You could see he wasn't hurt. He was just playing rope-a-dope to try to pull him in and then counter him as he tried to come in. But uh, let's talk about some some intricacies of this fight as well. You know, this is, again, a battle of the outside foot, opposite stance fighter. Um, Ankliev is a southpaw power coming from the left side. Ian Kutelaba's orthodox or conventional. His power is coming from the right side. The check hooks over the top are going to be the biggest weapons for a one of the biggest weapons in controlling distance and angling is the check left or check right hook. It would be the check right hook for the southpaw over the lead left hand of the orthodox fighter or the check left hook over the re lead rear uh, lead right hand of the southpaw fighter. You want to use that check hook to get the outside angle and get the outside foot, which again, what would it do? It would set up the power down the middle. So that's one thing that they're going to be looking to. It's got easier access for the southpaw fighter, like I said, because they have the quicker ability to get the outside angle because they're already kind of on the outside angle when it's a opposite stance fighter. Um, when you look at a guy like Magomed Ankliev, he's going to be looking to counter the opponent as they come in with the power left hand down the middle. He's very, very quick with that straight left hand. Sometimes he'll go over, he'll uh, turn it over to go with more of an overhand left motion. But, uh, it's very, very solid work from Magomed Ankliev. He's very quick and very dangerous, very good with the straight left. So Ankliev does tend to pressure forward and kind of come forward and bum rush. Look for Ankliev to come down the center with the straight left hand or come over the top with the straight left as uh, Kutelaba closes the distance. Um, he has a very good counter with a, a fade back right hook. So he'll, he'll let the opponent come forward and close the distance. He'll back up. He'll slip off to his left side and then come over the top with the check right hook. Very good. We call it a fade back right hook because you're fading back, um, slipping off the center and then coming over as they come in. It's a variation of a check hook, but it's not used to get the angle. It's used to counter the opponent coming in. Um, he will also fake the power kick um, in the left side. He'll switch his hips briefly to, uh, one, it closes the distance on the opponent, and two, it can be used to step to the outside of the lead foot and then come down the center with the straight left hand. Um, and he'll also fake the roundhouse kick. So sometimes he'll fake the switch of the switch of the hips to close the distance, and sometimes he'll fake the roundhouse kick and then come up the middle with the front kick. Almost like a question mark kick, but he's throwing it to the body. So he'll fake the round kick and then push um, push forward with the teep kick to uh, 
you know, take the air out of the opponent sometimes. And with a question mark kick, it's reversed. You throw the front kick, but you fake it and you turn it over at the last second. The opponent's going to look to either high guard up front or look to sweep away the, uh, the teep kick. So you fake the teep and then come around the side, come over the top with the question, the roundhouse kick. And it looks like a question mark because you're going straight and then you're hooking it around. Um, yeah, so he likes to do that. That's another really good Weapon from uh, Ankliev, he's very, very good at controlling the distance and a very patient fighter. He does like to push you forward, does like to pressure you, but it's a calm pressure. He doesn't bum rush. He doesn't overextend. He doesn't tend to get emotional. Mago, uh, Ian Kutelaba, they don't call him the Hulk for no reason. He does tend to get, um, he does tend to get emotional, does tend to um, look to come in and try to, uh, rough you up if he gets you hurt. Um, the hand feints and the hip feints are used to freeze the opponent and read the patterns and then counter. He's very patient, very calculated, like we just said. Um, when you look at Ian Kutelaba, he is also good with fakes and feints and uses the slip off the center line to get the outside angle on the opponent. Like I said, opposite stance opponent. Um, this is good for this fight because he can slip left and get to the outside of the lead foot of Ankliev, but you have to be careful and make sure to not run into the power left kicks because the left kicks of Magomed Ankliev are about as dangerous as you can get. Um, what's next? Uh, Eon likes to catch the power kicks of the opponent like he did against Khalil Roundtree, who's also a southpaw. So this definitely works out. He likes to catch the power kicks and drive forward to get the takedowns. He'll switch up the single leg attempt. So he'll grab your leg, switch, uh, put head on the inside to go for a, an inside single. And he'll, uh, he'll then switch to the rear leg and go with the head on the inside single, lift it up, elevate, and try to dump the opponent. He's very good with scrambles and he's good at driving you forward and just pushing you out, pushing you to the fence and then looking to trip out your base leg to knock you off balance and then get on top of the ground on the ground and land vicious ground and pound. Ian Kutelaba has some vicious, vicious ground and pound and very good timing on takedown entries. If Kutelaba tends to thinks that, um, or I'm sorry, if Ankliev thinks that Kutelaba is hurt and he rushes forward recklessly, I could see Kutelaba shooting underneath and looking to take him down. Um, he's very good with the timing in those takedowns. He did it against Roundtree, like I said, um, the, a fight we discussed earlier. Really good base leg trips. Even in wild exchanges, if they're in a brawl, he can find a way to catch the kick, lift up, and then trip out the base leg and dump you. Um, vicious ground and pound with punches and elbows from the stack guard, the half guard, and the top position. Um, if I have to go with a prediction, I do think it's a close fight. I could see Kutelaba winning, but I'm going with Magomed Ankliev. I have to go with Magomed Ankliev because I think he's just too patient. I think he's too good with the counters. I think that even if Kutelaba tries to fake like he's hurt like he did in that first fight, I think that even if that fight would have continued, I think Ankliev would have finished him. Because even with those overhand hooks and the, the right hands that Magom that uh, Kutelaba was trying to land, they didn't land even though Ankliev was so close to him because Magomed can control the distance so well. So I think he controls distance, lets Kutelaba come forward, try to bum rush and look to put him out, and then I think just counters him with that left kick and counters him with that left hand coming over the top, stumbles him, hurts him, drops him, and gets the finish. I'm going to go with Magomed Ankliev to defeat Ian Kutelaba via ace. We're gonna. I'm gonna go with a first round finish. 
because I think it would have been a first-round finish in that first fight. So Magomed Ankliev to defeat Ian Kutelaba via a first-round knockout. <sighs> All right, up next in the heavyweight division, you have the number six-ranked Alexander Volkov, who holds a record of 31 wins and eight defeats, going up against the number eight-ranked Walt the Big Ticket Harris, who holds a record of 13 wins, 8 defeats, and 1 no contest. Alexander Volkov is coming off a loss to Curtis Blades, where he just got out-wrestled. He did hurt Curtis Blades in that fight. I believe it was in the 3rd or 4th round. Hurt him, got on top, and uh, looked to finish, but it didn't. The round ended, and then Curtis Blades just went right back to the wrestling. Um, Walt Harris is coming off a loss against Alistair Overeem back in May. Um, hurt him with a, a combination up against the fence, landed that right hand, or I believe he landed the left hand. Yeah, he might have landed the left hand down the middle, dropped him, landed vicious ground and pound, cut him open, lost position on the ground. Overeem was able to uh, take the back, get on top, use that Dagestani handcuff where you control the uh, hand of the opponent with your hand and then ground and pound with the other hand and just continue to uh, pull the hand out and break the base and push forward with your own weight. And, uh, yeah, so when you look at this fight, uh, look at Walt Harris first. He's deceptively quick and elusive for a heavyweight. This guy can close distance and is so fast with his hands. He has extremely, extremely quick boxing combinations, and that is one thing that can be a problem against Volkov. But Volkov is more of a fighter who likes to maintain a fight and control the distance at kicking range. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, he uses fakes and feints, does Wall Harris. He will fake the Superman punch to close the distance um, on some fighters. He faked the Superman punch to close the distance on Overeem, and then he'll also fake that rear kick like we talked about earlier. You fake the rear kick to get the outside angle on the opponent, and then you can set up the power down the middle, but it also helps you get the angle and uh, – make the opponent have to turn into you somewhat. Um, extremely quick hand combinations. One, two, three, four, five punch combinations. Just pop, 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 pop. Clean punches, and he makes good reads on the opponent's movement. He's not extremely – he's a patient fighter, but when he hurts you, he goes for the kill. So he's patient, kind of just moving around, faking his hands, moving left and right, da -da -da -da, coming in to knock you out. Um, he'll on he will unload with heavy shots from the top. Uh, if he does tend to if he ends up getting Volkov on the ground like Derek Lewis did, he could unload with heavy shots from the top. Whether it's hammer fist, um, power shots from the top of the the top, you know, just landing vicious, vicious ground and pound. But his hammer fists are probably his best weapon from the ground. Um, this is a battle of power versus technique. Obviously, Wall Harris is has really, really good technique as well. But this really reminds me of, it's making me think of similarities between Alexander Volkov versus Derek Lewis. Now it's not the same because Derek Lewis, uh, Walt Harris is much quicker and much more, I think he has much better footwork and movement than does Derek Lewis. But Volkov is going to just be looking to piece up Walt Harris from range, um, inside and outside low kicks to the lead leg, uh, the lead right leg of Wall Harris, look for him to land those. Look for him to land that teep kick up the middle. Look for him to land knees to the body if Harris closes the distance. Since Volkov is so tall, I believe he's like 6'5", 6'4", something like that, he can tend to uh, rely on range and distance control to uh, for defense instead of keeping his hands up in a traditional guard. You never really see Volkov keep his hands up high in a normal guard and let the, the guard kind of absorb the shots. He more or less just slips and... Uh, 
comes off the center line and uh, uses that just his lead hand to control the distance and then back up and try to counter you with lead kicks to the body and rear roundhouse kicks to the body. This is most likely going to be contested all on the feet, and it's a very dangerous first round for Volkov. I know it's a three-round fight, but it's a very, very, very dangerous first round for Alexander Volkov. Volkov has a very dangerous kicking game, like we said. He's going to want to chip away at the legs and body of Walt Harris and take away the wind. Um, the first round of the fight against Overeem, Walt Harris just came out like a like a like a bat out of hell. Just came out, landed the power shots, looked to finish, and and blew his wad. You know, he he tired himself out. And in the second round, that's when Overeem finished him with that high kick and ground and pound. But the second round, Walt Harris just had nothing left. No pop on his shots. His movement slowed down drastically. So it's a going to be a very dangerous and explosive first round for Walt Harris. So Volkov is going to have to play it safe, keep him at kicking range, constantly attack the inside and outside of the lead leg of Walt Harris to slow down the movement and, and his ability to cut angles, Re uh, front kicks to the body, rear and lead leg round kicks to the body, um, try to get in close and land some knees to the body and then push Walt Harris away. The kicking game of Volkov is going to be the key to winning this fight. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, when it comes down to picking a winner, I'm going to go with Alexander Volkov. I think he finishes Wall Harris in the I think he finishes Wall Harris in the second round. I think it's very similar to the Overeem fight except I don't see Volkov getting caught. Yes, he can get caught by Wall Harris and knocked out if Volkov leans back and Wall Harris times it and comes over the top and lands a power shot. I think he can definitely knock out Alexander Volkov. Um, I think he's got enough power. I think he's got some of the best power in that heavyweight division. But I think that the distance control, the technical advantages that Alexander Volkov has are going to override the power and speed of Walt Harris. So yeah, my pick is Alexander Drago Volkov to defeat Walt Harris via a second round TKO. I'm going with Drago in this one for sure. All right, let's move to the co-main event of the evening. You have a battle to determine the next challenger for Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya. It is a battle between top-ranked middleweight contenders. Up first, the former reigning defending middleweight champion coming back after his win over Darren Till on Fight Island it is the number one ranked Robert the Reaper Whitaker, who holds a record of 22 wins and five defeats, going up against the number three ranked top contender, very, very dangerous and overlooked man in this division. That is Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer, who holds a record of 13 wins and four defeats. Um, this fight is very, very good, and it's dangerous for both guys. I think a lot of people don't know how good Jared Cannonier is. He is a very patient and methodical fighter. He lets the fight come to him. Won't really push the pace in the first round. Kind of stand little, stand pretty tall, you know, fake and faint. Look for the openings and then finally just come over the top with that right hand. Land that beautiful left hook. His jab is very good. He doesn't have a lot of wind up in it. It just comes straight down the center and pops the jab out. Um, let's look. Uh, he has very good takedown defense, does Jared Cannonier. He likes to use the overhook on that lead overhook and then use that to wizard and get his hips back sprawling and then turn the corner to get back to the center and uh, go back to the striking. Um, when you look at it, when you defend a takedown, you want to overhook on that. I believe it would be the lead arm. Uh, if I could, let's see, take them down, sprawl, overhook. Yeah, it's going to be the lead side. You're going to overhook and you want to turn your hips 
towards that overhook and then use that push down on the head with the other arm to control the head where the head, the body follows turn and then get back to the center. That is something that Jerry Cannonier is very good at. He's also very good at pushing into you and sprawling your takedown attempts out. Sometimes he'll get taken down and then have the ability to scramble back up to his feet. Um, Whitaker has good wrestling. We saw it against Darren Till up against the cage with the, the clinch control and the takedowns. He has a good ability to wrestle and he has phenomenal takedown defense. We saw that in the fights against Yoel Romero. Even if you take him down, he will find a way to scramble and get back up to his feet. Um, Cannonier stands pretty tall for a fighter. Um, you, lot of, you see a lot of guys, you know, with a lowered stance, you know, with, with, uh, their legs kind of with their, their knees bent, lowered stance, and uh, kind of moving their head, trying to get on the inside and uh, keep the stance lower so you could defend the takedowns, but also um, so that you you're have a little bit more movement in your feet. With Jared Cannonier, he stands very tall and doesn't hunch over. He's very patient and very tactical in his approach. He's got a really good jab. He kind of just lets the fight come to him. He might slip a couple shots. Um you know, parry the jab with the back rear hand, parry with the lead hand, slip, determine your patterns, and then come in and try to counter you and go for the kill. Um, He's very, very strong and good with scrambles and trying to get his feet um, get his, get back to his feet off of the bottom. He likes to get his hips out. If he get, when he got taken down by Jack Hermanson, Hermanson tried to get his back. He was able to, uh, control the hook so that Jerry, uh, so that Hermanson couldn't get the hooks in, um, spin, um, spin out and then push his hips back in, shrimp in, get back up to his feet and find a way out. He's patient on the ground. So he doesn't panic, which can lead to openings for a guy like Whitaker, but he tends to stay patient, control, control the, the legs so he can't get the hooks in and then uh, shrimp his hips out and eventually work his way back to a base and get up to his feet. Um, Very, very good uppercuts off the counter of takedowns. He did it against Hermanson. He saw that Hermanson was looking to lower his level. He timed the level change, came up the middle with that uppercut and uh, dropped Hermanson and landed vicious, vicious ground and pound. He also is good with uppercuts from the clinch up against the cage. He will frame off your head with the lead arm, with the lead hand, and then uh, that one controls the range and two keeps control of the target and then come up with that uppercut up the middle. This guy was a former light heavyweight, a former heavyweight and light heavyweight moving down to middleweight. So he is more lean and, and in better shape than he's ever been, but he carries heavyweight power. If he lands on the chin of Robert Whitaker, I think he can knock out Robert Whitaker without a doubt. Whitaker is pretty good defensively, but he does get hit and does get hurt a lot on the feet. Um, Romero dropped him. Adesanya obviously knocked him out. Um, Darren Till caught him with the elbow coming in, timed it, and dropped him, knocked him out. He tend, does tend to have a, uh, have a need to rush in and close the distance and blitz. Those blitzes are what's going to get him countered and get him hurt against a guy like Jared Cannonier. Cannonier has good control uh, of the center of the octagon. He always tends to be pushing the opponent back and doesn't tend to get pushed back himself, but he is vulnerable to getting low kicked. Um, Robert Whitaker has good front leg side kicks to the knee of the opponent and good low kicks um, and kicks to the head. Whitaker tends to uh, hide that right kick behind the right hand so the opponent slips off the center and then gets hit. 
um, with the kick going into the kick. Um, he controls the biceps and turns the corner to defend the takedowns. Like we said, and exit to get back to the middle of the cage. Very, very good awareness of the grappling exchanges and awareness of distance and ability to control it and get his hips back. Uh, pullback counter with the right hand over the top is very good and good power low kicks himself. Yes, he does tend to be vulnerable to getting hit with calf kicks, but he has good calf kicks in and of himself. And sometimes he will hide it behind the right hand. So he'll go one, two, use that right hand to control the opponent and then turn the hips over as he's controlling and framing with that right hand. One, two, hide the kick behind it, control the distance, turn the hips over, land the kick. Um, Justin Gaethje does that as well, but we'll talk about that when we break down the main event. He has good jabs. Like I said, really, really good fakes with the shoulders and shoulder rotations to make reads on the opponent and then pop the jab in fake pop the jab in. When you look at Robert Whitaker, he has a very, very educated, well-educated lead left hand does the Reaper. He keeps his hands low, his hand low, almost to his, uh, almost touching his thigh, very low lead hand, um, high rear hand. And he's hopping in and out of range, hopping in and out like a karate style in and out, in and out, kind of like a wonder boy. Um, but he's good at disguising the jab or the left hook. You don't know which one's coming. He'll, he'll keep that hand low jab, jab. And he likes to get his head off the center line, lower his level and then double jab. But then he'll get his head off the center line, lower the level, and disguise it and give it a left hook. He did this against Brad Tavares. Jab, get your head off the center line. Jab, get your head off the center line. Fake the jab, come around with the left hook. The jabs and the hooks, when he lowers his level and gets that low level, it's harder for the opponent to time it, and it makes him think that it's a jab, but he switches it up to a hook. Um, Hook off the jab, like we always talk about. Um, Let's see. He's very light on the feet. And uh, he'll whip the hook in, so fake the jab, whip the hook in around the side. Um, He's good at whipping the right hand in as well. Um, Right hand, left hook combo. So he'll he'll come in, he'll be on the outside, bop, 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 right hand, left hook. Or come in, left hook over the top, and then use that left hook to go with a wide overhand right. He does tend to, he has tended to become a little bit more reckless in his more recent fights. Even against Darren Till, he would step in with the jab, try to go with the left hook, it would miss. He would come over the top with the right hand. Or he'd step in to close the distance, come over the top with the right hand, and then swing that left hook in. He would, When he blitzes, that's when he can get caught by Jared Cannonier. If he blitzes recklessly, Cannonier can counter with the right hand. He can counter that level change jab that he throws to the body and to the head and uses it to disguise the left hook. Cannonier can time that slip and time that level change and come up the middle with an uppercut like he did against Jack Hermanson. That is one area I think that Whitaker definitely has to watch out for. When you level change and lower your level to throw the jab to the body and the jab to the head, look for Whitaker or Cannonier to time it and come up the middle with that uppercut. That is a very, very, very of a high possibility for how Whitaker can get finished in this fight. Uh, what else should we talk about in the game of the former champion? Uh, uh, Whitaker loves to go one, two, same side high kick. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, one, two, and then come in with the high kick. I think that can be a problem for Jared Cannonier. That is a good weapon for Israel Adesanya. Like we've already said, um, right, right hand disguises the right high kick, same side attacks are the wave of the future. And it's become very, very, you know, very, very well used in a well-versed attack in recent years in mixed martial arts. 
good counter power shots off the break in the clinch. This is one thing that Cannoneer's going to have to watch out for is striking off the break. Cannoneer is good at controlling in the clinch, but I think Whitaker can definitely resort to his grappling and take down uh, Cannoneer, but also fake takedowns, get into clinches, and then come off the break with the left hook. Get into a clinch, come off the break with a right hand to a left hook. Fake the takedown, slip off to the outside, come over the top with the right hand, follow up with a fade back left hook. Break Striking off the clinch breaks are going to be the biggest weapon against Cannoneer because Cannoneer stands very tall, doesn't lower his level, so it might be harder for him to slip out of the way of wide shots or roll out of the way of wider shots, but straight shots down the middle are going to be easier for Cannoneer to read because he stands so tall. But the overhands and the wide punches are going to be the the, the key factor that Whitaker is going to have to use to uh, catch Cannoneer off guard. All right, so we've talked about everything. The blitzes where Whitaker just comes in and blitzes with the right hand. He'll be on the outside hopping in and out, in and out. Bah, bah! One, two. That is going to be a big disadvantage for him against uh, Jared Cannoneer. I think if he blitzes too much and rushes in, he gets countered and gets knocked out by Cannoneer. Cannoneer has too much power. Whitaker has been caught multiple times, and if he rushes in recklessly, he gets countered. It's very, very, very possible that Jared Cannoneer knocks out Robert Whitaker. If somebody gets knocked out, I would, I would venture to say that the more likely candidate to get a knockout in this fight is the killer gorilla, Jared Cannoneer. However, when I look at the entire fight, I think that Whitaker resorts to his grappling. I think that Whitaker gets in close with clinches, strikes to enter into clinches, and then clinches and breaks off the clinch with strikes to, to land on Cannoneer. I think he fakes in and out with that jab. I think he fakes low with the jab, lowers the level, comes over the top with the left hook. And I think Robert Whitaker gets the win over Jared Cannoneer via a unanimous decision. It's a close fight. I could definitely see... Um, I could definitely see... Cannoneer winning this fight by knockout, but it's a three round fight. I think Whitaker has been in five round fights a lot, which could that actually could bite him in the ass a little bit because he's in so many five round championship fights that he might start off a little bit slower. But I think Whitaker's going to have, you know, the bigger advantage and get ready and be more ready to land, um, to fight at a technical pace. Um, I've talked about all the weapons. I just think that Whitaker, Keeps him at a distance. I think he gets in close, uses his wrestling and his takedown entries and clinch entries up against the cage and strikes off the break in the clinch to hurt Cannoneer. So my pick is Robert the Reaper Whitaker to defeat Jared Cannoneer via a unanimous decision. I would love to see him get a, get a finish. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go with a third-round TKO for Robert Whitaker. I think that Cannoneer has been knocked out. He got knocked out at light heavyweight by Jan Blahovich, and he got knocked out by Dominic Reyes. Those guys hit very hard. But I do think Cannoneer can get caught by either that right hand to the right high kick or the uh, left hook off the jab of Robert Whitaker. So my pick is Robert Whitaker to defeat Jared Cannoneer via a third-round knockout. All right, guys, in the words of Bruce Buffer, it's time to break down the main event of UFC 254 for the reigning, for the undisputed lightweight 
championship of the world. You have the reigning, defending, undefeated, lightweight champion, the Dagestani phenom, the eagle, Habib Nurmagomedov, who holds a record of 28 wins, no defeats, going up against the interim lightweight champion, Justin the Highlight Gaethje, who holds a record of 22 wins, two defeats, or 22 victories and two defeats. And uh, coming off a victory of a lifetime with pure five-round domination over Tony Elkakui Ferguson. He's defeated the boogeyman. Now, can he add the eagle to the highlight reel? I guess we're going to find out. Um, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal matchup. I mean, it's really just... It's it's very... Okay, I, I don't want to say... All right, to me, it's very close. To me, it's very close. I think that Gaethje is the most dangerous opponent that Khabib has ever faced in his career. I think that Habib is one of the most dangerous opponents that Gaethje has faced in his career. Obviously, you don't go 28-0, much less never losing a fight. He's only lost one round in 28 fights in his professional career. So he knows how to dominate, he knows how to control, and he knows how to maintain the fight without taking much damage. Gaethje used to take a ton of damage in his early fights. I mean, look at the fights against Michael Johnson. Almost got knocked out multiple times, came back, and and knocked out Johnson. Look at the fights against Poirier. Look at the fights against Eddie Alvarez. Um, getting ripped up to the body, he's coming back trying to counter. Um, vicious low kicks from Justin Gaethje, which I think are going to be a big factor against a guy like Habib because he doesn't throw them like a traditional low kick. He throws them. He throws a calf kick, which is more kicking up but he throws them so quick and they're so low on the leg, it's going to be a little bit harder for Habib to catch them and use them into uh, transition into takedowns. Let's look at the stats for the main event of the evening. All right, so let me go to the main card. Here we go. Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Uh, When you look at the stats, uh, Gaethje has a one-inch height advantage, 5'11 to 5'10". Um, they both have equal reaches, 70-inch reach. Adva- 70 inch reach. Um, Gaethje is going to look to use that reach a lot more than is Habib, and Habib is going to look to close the distance, get the takedowns, and uh, use his main his, use his footwork to get out of range when he doesn't want to shoot and to avoid a lot of the heavy, heavy strikes of Justin Gaethje. The leg reach is also identical at 40 inches. When you look at win percentages, this is where you see who the – True knockout artist really is. 86% of the wins of Justin Gaethje's career have come by way of knockout. 5% by submission and 9% by decision. Justin Gaethje is a finisher. He comes in there to knock you out. He comes in there to put your lights out, and that's just it. Gaethje's a fighter. He's a warrior. They don't call him the highlight for no reason. He's coming in there to knock you out. He's coming in there to finish you. He'll put himself in harm's way. He put himself in harm's way a lot more earlier in his career than he does now. When you look at him now and look at the fight against Tony Ferguson, he has learned from his coach, Trevor Whitman, who's one of the best coaches in the world, coaches um, Thug Rose Nami Yunus, coaches Justin Gaethje. Um, he's one of the best coaches and one of the best minds in all of mixed martial arts. And I think that having Whitman as the coach for Gaethje is going to be a big factor in determining a solid game plan. But you look at the finishes for Khabib, he has 29% of his wins coming by way of knockout, 36% by dis- by submission, and 36% by decision. So Khabib is a much more diverse 
fighter in terms of how he wins fights, but Justin Gaethje is looking to knock you out, and I don't see any difference in this fight. He will not stop until he gets finished. You have to kill him to defeat him. He always says that. You have to take him out because he will not quit. Um, you look at average fight time, 13 minutes and 56 seconds for Habib Nurmagomedov to 10 minutes and 11 seconds for the highlight Justin Gaethje. Um, knockdowns per 15 minutes, it's a .2 knockdowns for um, Habib to a percent, .63% of knockdown averages for Gaethje in a 15-minute fight. Now, when you look at significant strikes landed per minute, Habib lands 4.29 significant strikes compared to Justin Gaethje, 7.74 significant strikes landed per minute. Um, look at significant strike percentages. He doesn't only land more strikes, he's also more accurate is Gaethje. 49% significant strike, strike accuracy for Habib to 59% for the interim champion, Justin Gaethje. So he lands more, he's more active, and he's also more accurate. Now here is where the big discrepancy follows. With strikes absorbed per minute, Khabib takes only 1.7 strikes on average per minute. Gaethje takes 8.37 strikes a minute. He's there to get hit. He will get hit, but he puts himself in the line of fire to knock you out. He will. He does not care if he goes out on his shield. And a lot of these stats, I believe, obviously it's an it's a, an amalgamation of all the fights in your career, and it's a it's a big you know, just everything put together. But in his in his recent fights, he barely took any damage against James Vick. First round knockout didn't take any damage at all, except with body kicks. Um, against Edson Barbosa, got hit with maybe three or four clean shots and a couple low kicks, knocked out Barbosa. Against uh, Cerrone, maybe got hit with one or two clean combinations, came in, countered, knocked him out. He has learned to become a more patient fighter. But at first, he would just come bum rush forward and try to take you out immediately, and that would lead him to get hit. When you when you push forward, when you're on the offense, you're not on the defense. Your, your defense is lacking. So uh, sometimes the best defense is a good offense, and that is a good thing, or that is definitely the the case when you look at a guy like Justin Gaethje. However. Um, Gaethje has learned to become much more patient, much more calculated. He still comes forward and pushes the pace and tries to knock you out, but he's more patient and he's more defensively responsible than he's ever been in his career in his last three or four fights. After those two losses, he suffered back to back to, uh, Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. He had learned to let the fight come to him, settle in, be more patient and be def more defensively responsible. And, uh, it has led to this four fight win streak that he's currently on with wins over James Vick, Edson Barbosa, Donald Cerrone, and Tony Ferguson. Uh, let's look at some more stats when it looks, when it comes to the grappling, um, Gaethje has not shot any takedowns in his UFC career. Um, Takedown averages per 15 minutes for Habib is 5.09 takedowns per 15-minute fight. He's always looking to push you back to the fence, shoot in on a single, then transition to head on the inside single, lift your leg up, push you one way to get your your leg your uh, your weight off your rear leg or uh, misdirect you and then trip you out and get a trip takedown or get you in a body lock and uh, as you get up from the trip takedown and, and push you forward, put all of his weight on you and suffocate you. He's looking to take you down and ground and pound you. Habib has the best grappling we've ever seen 
in the sport of mixed martial arts. And that is not a, a lie. He is literally the best grappler in the sport. And I don't think anybody will ever touch his grappling in terms of uh, mixed martial arts greatness. Not many people can stay undefeated in mixed martial art, at, arts at this high of a level, let alone barely ever lose a round in 28 fights. Let's look at some more stats. Uh, takedown defense. Habib has a 84% takedown defense to Justin Gaethje's 80% takedown defense. But a lot of people don't tend to shoot on Justin Gaethje. That is good takedown defense. He was a former Division I All-American. And uh, he, he has good takedown defense. He has good wrestling. He said he's more of a folk-style wrestler, which means it's a lot of Gramby rolls, rolling out of takedowns, switching your hips, um, rolling out of takedowns to get top position, a lot of scrambles and and never stop moving once you hit the floor. If he can use that against a guy who grapples as heavy as Habib, that can be a big problem because one thing that we notice is that once you get Habib gets you down and controls you, you have nowhere to move. He gives you no space. So if Gaethje does get taken down, he needs to immediately switch his hips, get the underhooks, roll out with Gramby rolls, roll out to the side, cartwheel out of some takedown attempts, constantly switch his hips, shrimp, get back up to his feet, roll, turn back into Habib, um, get the underhooks, break away, get control of the wrists. Um, Habib is really good at using that Dagestani handcuff once he gets you down. We'll break down more of the technical side of this fight in a little bit. We're more just talking about stats. And submission averages per 15 minutes is a 0.59% submission or 0.59 submission attempt average per 15 minutes for a guy for the Eagle Habib Nurmagomedov. So now that we've broken down the stats, let's get into the technical side of this fight. We've already talked about a little bit of it, but when you look at a guy like Justin Gaethje, he has learned to use the stance switches and switch stance combinations to a great effect. He used it the most in the fight against Tony Ferguson at 249, where he became the interim champion. And that was the best we've ever seen Tony, uh, Justin Gaethje look. He basically put a clinic on Tony Ferguson for five rounds straight and finished Tony Ferguson, snapped a 12-fight unbeaten streak that Tony Ferguson's last loss before this, I believe, was to Michael Johnson. He lost to Michael Johnson, didn't lose for 12 fights in a row, and then Gaethje came in and knocked and uh, got a fifth-round TKO, and his striking just looked phenomenal. The counters with the overhand right over the jab of Tony Ferguson, the right hand using it to load up the left hip for the left hook, the one-two step forward into southpaw to switch your stance, get the angle, the outside foot on Ferguson, and come through with the left hook. The best punch for Justin Gaethje is his left hook. And I think that's going to be a big weapon against Habib, especially if you can switch stance constantly and fake and faint and then come through this, uh, come around the side with the left hook, switch stance, cut the angle and come through. I think we're going to see a lot of footwork and movement and stance switches from Gaethje to one, make it harder for Habib to set up his takedowns and close the distance because you're constantly moving on an angle and switching your stances. And two, it's going to make it harder for Habib to see where the power is coming from because Habib tends to just use one or two defensive weapons, which we will talk about in a second. Um, Habib or uh, Justin Gaethje likes to use the right hand and then fake and roll inside to land the, the left hook. So he'll go right hand, left hook, or he'll fake the right hand, roll underneath and throw the left hook. 
um, in and out movement and slight shifts with his footwork. This is a staple of his coach, Trevor Whitman, like we talked about earlier. He's good at faking and fainting, stepping in, faking and fainting, switching stance, bop, bop, parry, parry, counter, boom, come around with the side with counters. Um, he tends to parry a lot with the lead hand and then parry and sweep away low kicks. If Habib's looking to land body kicks against Gaethje to push him back or inside and outside low kicks, um, Habib tends to pull back with his defense. He'll he'll like stiff arm with the lead hand and then pull back with his head and high guard on the right side. That's more of a, I wouldn't call it a shoulder roll defense. I've called it that in the past. It's more of just a pull. He tends to pull away with his defense, but his chin is up in the air. So if Gaethje can counter, can uh, step to the outside of his lead foot, switch his stance with that right hand, and then boom, come through with the lead, with the left hook. Now I know what a lot of people are going to say. Well, look at Dustin Poirier. Look at the fight against Poirier. He switched, landed that switch stance right hand and hurt Habib, but he wasn't able to close the distance and finish him. You know why? Because Poirier's stance switch, although it's phenomenal and one of his best strikes that he uses, he tends to wind up and throw it a lot wider and take wider steps than does Gaethje. When Gaethje switches stance, it's just brief steps in and out. Bop, 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 bop. Bop, bop. It's a bop, bop, step, switch, boom, left hook. He's very close to the opponent. When Poirier uses the stance switch um, combinations, he's at a further distance. He's further away from, from Habib, which makes it easier for Habib to see it, but also makes it a little bit easier for Habib to defend because he sees the windup. With Gaethje, he won two slight steps in, slight steps back, switch stance, boom. He's very close to you. A lot of times, Ferguson would come in and try to like come out the side door. And every time he would try to come out the side door, Gaethje would switch stance to cut him off on the exit and then run him right into the left hook. He would almost be towards the back of Tony Ferguson. Pop, pop, step sideways. Boom. He would turn right into the left hook because he tried to spin out and get out of the way. But Gaethje was able to close the doors and set traps and always land that left hook and the right hand over the jab of Tony Ferguson and over the lead uppercut. He would parry with the lead hand of the lead uppercut of Ferguson, come over the top with the right hand, and then follow it up with the left hook, sometimes switching stances and sometimes not. Okay, uh, let's talk about a little bit more of the game of Justin Gaethje. Sometimes he'll follow up a left hook to the collar tie. So he'll left hook, get in close, collar tie you, and come up the middle with an uppercut. I don't expect him to use any type of collar ties or or tie plum against a guy like Habib because you don't want to be that close to a guy who's as elite of a grappler as Nurmagomedov. Um, he tends to roll at to his right after the right hand. So he'll go one, two and roll and slip out the side. Um, he will also roll off of his low kicks. The one of the best weapons and most dangerous weapons besides the left hook are the low kicks of Justin Gaethje. Um, chopping low kicks. He tends to, sometimes he can even land low kicks from in the clinch. I don't expect a lot of clinch work to be, to take place in this fight on Justin Gaethje's behalf, unless he's defending clinch exchanges from Habib, defending takedowns and stuff like that. I expect him to, you only use the clinch from a defensive standpoint. Um, to stuff the takedowns and stuff the transitions of Habib. Um, when we look at a guy like Habib, um, let's talk about some of his technical weapons. Um, he's very good. Like I said, Habib tends to use forward pressure to pressure you up against the cage and then shoot his takedowns when you're close to the cage. He will shoot in the center of the cage, 
when he fought Ally Quinta, he faked, shot a single leg, got a really low single, almost like an ankle pick, picked up the leg, and then tripped out the base leg. He's very good with trips. And then once Ally Quinta hit the ground, he immediately went to the body lock, got the back, and uh, sunk his weight forward to his left side. If he gets the body lock after he trips you down, he's going to body lock, keep his head on your shoulder, head higher than yours because it's going to put more weight on the opponent. You want to have your head higher than the opponent in these in uh, body locks and in, in clinch exchanges. You want to have your head higher than the opponent because, one, it puts more pressure on the opponent and they have to find a way to fight back in. So he will, he will trip you from that single leg position, get you to scramble, and then get the body lock from your back and then sink his weight towards his left side, get on his base, and just sink you down, land punches, sink you down, land punches, sink his weight on top of you to tire you out. This is one reason why we said, yes, Habib shoots takedowns, but he doesn't shoot one or two or three takedowns. It's one attempt after the other, after the other, after the other. When you look at takedown accuracy, Habib is only accurate with let me see, where's it at? He's only accurate with 44% of his takedown attempts, but it's because he'll shoot a head on the inside single. Then he'll transition to a head on the outside double leg. He'll go head on the outside single. Then he'll transition, turn the corner, go double leg, switch his hands and drive forward. He he's switching up takedown attempts. It's, it's single leg, head on the inside to a head on the outside double to back to the single leg. Then he'll push you one way to misdirect your weight, push you back the other way just to trip out your base leg. And then once he trips out your base leg, he'll get to the body lock takedowns. And then he'll sink his weight forward onto your lead side towards his left side, sink you down, then eventually break your base, break your posture down, and get you into the triangle leg mount. Now, the triangle leg mount was used very well against Edson Barbosa and used very well against Poirier and... Connor McGregor. He's very good. Once he gets you up against the cage and gets the takedowns, like I said, Habib's wrestling is based off of one, either taking you down off the fence two, using his fakes and feints footwork and punches to get you to high guard close to the fence and then shoot, or he will shoot in the middle of the cage, drive you forward, mix up takedown attempts to eventually get the takedown and push you to the cage. Uh, Justin Gaethje needs to stay away from the cage. And when he gets shot, when he gets a takedown shot on him from the middle of the cage, he needs to be able to stuff the takedowns, turn the corner and scramble out without ever coming close to the fence. We say that about every opponent with Justin, with Habib. Don't get to the fence. And Habib always finds a way to pressure you to the fence. One thing you'll notice about Gaethje that Habib hasn't really faced. I guess he faced it a little bit with Poirier, but Poirier didn't try to pressure Habib too much. Justin Gaethje is a guy who does not back up. He will not back up against Habib. Habib is used to being the pressure fighter. He's used to pushing the opponent back because they're afraid of the wrestling. And then he'll fake and faint. Throw some combination to get you to the cage and take you down and then work his vicious ground and pound. Get you in that triangle leg mount. And the triangle leg mount is so effective because he will take you down and then he crosses your legs on top of each other and locks up your legs. So now, instead of just worrying about building a base, using the cage to get back up to your feet, circling out, getting your underhooks and getting out, you have to first worry about uncrossing your legs. Then you have to worry about standing up. When you go to stand up off the cage after you get your hips out, he immediately goes to body lock and sinks your weight down that way. You can try to use a wrestling switch where you take your lead hand, go inside the thigh of the opponent, and then turn into them. 
but it only works if Habib doesn't have his hands locked. If you go to use a switch and turn into the opponent and get top position while Habib still has his hands locked, it's just going to have him follow you right into the full mount and then land ground and pound and vicious strikes. He tried this against Poirier. Poirier tried the switch, but since Habib's hands were locked, he just followed the switch and ended up in top position. So Justin Gaethje needs to defend these takedowns unorth with an unorthodox style. He needs to be able to... Um, use those switches, but also roll out sideways, constantly move his hips in and out, fish for underhooks, roll underneath, shoot takedowns, fake a takedown on Habib. Um, Ally Quinta faked a takedown and it got Habib to drop his hands really quick. Fake the takedown, switch your stance with the right hand and come through with that switch stance left hook. Fake the takedown, come up the middle with the uppercut to the left hook. Fake the takedown, get Habib to move to his left. Boom, counter him with the left hook. You got to use takedown fakes. And I think that might be a weapon in Gaethje's plan is to use the fake, the takedown fakes, and then boom, come through with the left hook. Use the takedown fakes, pop right hand, left hook. Use the takedown fakes, boom, 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 one, two, and come down the middle with the right hand. Gaethje is dangerous, and the pressure that Gaethje puts on the opponent could be a is a different thing than Habib has ever faced. Habib uh, Gaethje is a Division One All American. Obviously, American wrestling, folk style wrestling, is different from Dagestani styles of wrestling. Dagestani styles of wrestling is all about body locks, controls, trip takedowns, and everything like that. And I think that Gaethje one needs to use calf kicks and low kicks. Another thing you have to factor in with uh, the Gaethje and Khabib fight is we talked about the pressure. You know, the pressure of of Gaethje is going to make it harder for Khabib. Yes, when you pressure forward, it could make it easier for Khabib to shoot in because you're you're overextending. One thing Gaethje tends to do a little bit, and you saw it against Cerrone, and Cerrone actually used this technique against Connor, is he will overextend on the right hand because he puts so much power into it. And then he'll shoot inside and uh, and get into a clinch exchange. He cannot overextend against Habib. You have to stay at at a range where you're just firing down the middle against Ferguson. He over overextended and put too much on it in the early rounds. But I know that Trevor Whitman and his coaches are going to make sure that he doesn't overextend. You just pop with good clean shots, fake and faint, and set up your counter shots. Don't overextend because if you overextend, your hips are back. It it gives the opponent, which Habib would, would or gives Habib an opportunity to get underneath you, get a takedown, work the body lock, and get you down. Um, the one weapon I think that's going to be the key factor in this fight is a the left hook because of how Habib tends to pull back with his head. I think if Gaethje fakes and stance switches and whips that right hook in with a stance switch or fakes and then comes around with a left hook by switching stance, he can either switch stance and throw the right hook. He can switch stance and throw the left hook. If you look at his Instagram story, he was working on a combination where he's fake. He's in almost a square stance. He fakes the move in. Steps forward with the fake and then pops that left hook. He whips that left hook in fake step. Boom. And uh, I think that can be a factor against Habib because the stance switches aren't telegraphed when Gaethje does them. They were against Poirier, which made it easier to see. When they're not telegraphed, it's harder for Habib to see those stance switches, harder for him to enter on takedowns. The calf kicks of Gaethje are going to be a key factor. I think immediately Gaethje's going to fake, throw a calf kick, fake, throw a calf kick. 
a couple calf kicks from Gaethje. You only need one, two, or three leg kicks from Gaethje to uh, to hurt you and get get taken down. That's it. To hurt you and, and compromise your entire game. He's that powerful. He's got the power to shut his lights out, does Gaethje. Habib can land strikes on the feet. He's not a terrible striker. He has good lateral movement, good ability to cut angles. He's not a rudimentary striker. Yes, he uses basics to set up his takedowns, but he still is a good striker. But at the end of the day, I think we have a new lightweight champion. I think Justin Gaethje knocks out Habib. I think the calf kicks are going to compromise the movement. And here's the thing that I was talking about with the calf kicks as, as compared to a traditional low kick tie style with a tie style, low kick. Normally it lands on the thigh, which makes it easier for the opponent to catch the kick, hike it up and shoot a takedown, which is what Habib wants to do. When you throw a calf kick, you're kicking at the lowest part of the leg and you're whipping it out. There is no way for Habib to catch a calf kick unless he dives for an ankle pick takedown like he did against Li Quinta and then uses it to hike up the leg, single leg, trip out the base, single leg, head on the inside, switch it to a double, and move around. That is the only way that Habib can even try to counter those those low calf kicks. I think the low calf kicks play div- pay dividends. I think he counters the defensive irresponsibility of Habib with the way he leans back and he uses those stance switches without too much windup to catch Habib, hurt him, and knock him out. I am going with Justin the Highlight Gaethje to defeat Habib Nurmagomedov, hand him his first professional defeat by way of, I'm going to go with a second round knockout for Justin the Highlight Gaethje. All right, guys, that's it. That's my predictions for UFC 254 and my wrap up on Ortega and uh, the Korean Zombie. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure to get this podcast out to anybody you can. That includes anybody on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher. Anywhere you get your audio podcasts, you can get the Touch Em Up podcast. Send it to anybody you know who's a fan of mixed martial arts or professional wrestling. Get them out. Get this podcast out to them. We've been growing lately. We've been growing a lot. And uh, I really appreciate all your guys, all the people who tune in and everybody who supports me in pursuing this dream of becoming one of the best MMA analysts in the game. We're on our way and we ain't stopping. Um, Please make sure to post about this on your social media, whether it's Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Post about the Touch Em Up podcast. Some episodes and my technical breakdowns with video footage are all available on Insta or uh, on YouTube. If you search up Touch Em Up Pod, that's T O U C H apostrophe E M U P P O D exclamation 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 mark. You can find me on social media. My Twitter is Armbar Nation three one six capital A capital N, and on Instagram it is Glorious M and M. That is G L O R I O U S M A N D M on Instagram. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I hope you enjoy the fights, and I think we see the highlight. Tame the Eagle. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out.